0: Good morning. My name is Sloan, and the Old Testament reading is found in Psalms 1 through 8. Why do the nations rage and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bounds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. My name is Andrew. The New Testament reading is found in Hebrews 1 1 through 9. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For for to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels wins, <clears throat> and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. The word of the Lord. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading, which is found in Mark 1, verse 1, and then 9 and 11. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn apart and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The gospel of the Lord
1: let remain standing as we pray. Come Holy Spirit, we ask you to give us a new kind of vision this morning that we would see Jesus. And we ask you to open up our ears that so we could hear your word speaking to us, showing us the places in our lives that you want to speak to and change. And Lord, give us soft hearts so we'd be able to hear your word and it would be able to take root in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Who is Jesus? Now, when I say that, some of you think, well, I know who Jesus is. He's da 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 And maybe you were so inspired by the series we did last year on the Nicene Creed that you've memorized all of the stanzas about Jesus. God from God, light from light. You know, you've, you've got it. This is who Jesus is. And for others of you, you're saying, well, that's a good question, isn't it? Whether you're familiar, whether you find the answer to be easy or if it's a bit of a struggle to answer that question... It is the question that everything else rises and falls based on its answer. Christianity, in the end, is not about a system of belief or a pattern of behavior. Christianity is about the person, Jesus Christ. And so the way we answer this question, who is Jesus, shapes everything else. If we answer this question wrongly, we have noth- there's nothing we're left with but a shell of religion. If we answer this question rightly, then all of a sudden all of our rituals and all of our expectations, all of our community, everything else begins to snap together if we answer this question rightly. So, who is Jesus? There are over 42 sources that reference Jesus within the 150 years after his death on earth. Many of these sources are not Christian of origin. Eight of them come from Roman or Greek sources, writers that reference the person, Jesus. One of them comes from a very famous Jewish historian named Josephus, who references a lot of these stories of Jesus and actually kind of validates some of the historical data. There's, there are more um, um, other outside verifications of this life of this person, Jesus, than there are for a lot of other ancient people from, from, from that day or from even before so there's little question, even from people who don't believe, atheists, or whatever, there's, there's still disagreement that, yeah, there was a guy named Jesus, and this is roughly what his life was like. What's disagreed about, of course, is what kind of person he really was. Uh, yeah, he had some good teachings. Yes, he did this, but was there an actual resurrection? Uh, I don't know. Was there an actual virgin birth? Uh, I don't know. You know. Was he actually divine and human? Uh, there's disagreement about that. We're starting a series today on the, through the Gospel of Mark and it'll take us all the way through Easter. And if you look at the subtitle on the art, it says, getting, parentheses, reacquainted with Jesus. And the reason for that is because the goal for this series is whether you are so familiar with Jesus, you've heard thousands of sermons about, about Jesus, or whether this is the first time you've really begun to think about the person of Jesus, my hope for you is that over the course of the next few weeks, you would begin to see Jesus through fresh eyes. And this is exactly the way Mark's written this book. In fact, Mark is the earliest gospel that we have. Um, the, 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 most, the best guess that, that we have about when it was written is somewhere in the 60s, the AD 60s, not like the 1960s. And... Uh, and And there's a a number of reasons for that. One of the the traditions in the second century says that this was John Mark who traveled with Peter and that essentially Mark is using Peter uh, as his source. And so it was written down before Peter dies. Another tradition says, well, because of some of the things Mark's talking about, it had to have happened before the destruction of Jerusalem, which was AD 70. However we piece it together, it's roughly in the 60s and it's the first of the Gospels. In fact, most New Testament scholars believe that the other gospel writers used Mark plus some other document called mysteriously Q as their sources for writing their gospels. So Mark was kind of first. And so this is why Mark is a a short gospel. He doesn't tell us anything about the birth of Christ. He drops us in right where the action is. Not only does he drop us in right where the action is, he uses this word immediately. He uses the word immediately 42 times in his gospel. That's over half the occurrences in the, New, in the whole New Testament. Mark's got an urgency to it, which may be good. It may be the perfect gospel for a busy age. Cut to the chase, would you? I don't need stories about angels and babies. Just tell me, just drop me right in the center of the action. That's what Mark does. Put The opening scene is dramatic, And I say opening scene because one of the best um, kind of of, of suggestions about how to approach Mark is to actually approach it like a play, that there is a good reason to believe that Mark is written following the style of a Greek or Roman play. So imagine for a moment that you're sitting in an outdoor amphitheater and you've come to see this play. And Mark is the written version of this play. Now, for some of you who geeked out on Shakespeare in high school, you're like, sweet. Others of you, you're like, ugh. Either way, Mark is high drama. And Mark is reluctant to give us the answers. He he wants us to take the journey with him. Mark, more than the other gospel writers, is not as concerned about making a theological claim about Jesus as much as he is wanting you to feel the drama of Jesus' life. That's why you'll read that people's reactions to Jesus in the gospel of Mark, they're either astonished or amazed or afraid, but it's all of this head-scratching kind of, who is this guy? And so I want you to hang on to that question, because that's a question we're going to wrestle with every week of this series. Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Mark 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning. I love this, because this is the beginning of the good news. We'll get to this at Easter, but the way Mark ends his gospel is very abrupt, very sudden, almost as if he wants you to supply the ending. Because he wants you to say, so who do you think he is? It's almost like the sort of play where when it's over, the director comes out and says, okay, so, so who do you think? It's almost like a whodunit. Like, well, what do you think? Who do you, what do you think is really going on here? I've given you all these clues. Now you put it together. Okay. Mark 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, we've got to say several things up front here if we're going to be um, a good audience in this drama, all right? The first is this word gospel. It's actually not a, a religious word. It's a word that means good news, and it was used throughout the Roman Empire to speak about Caesar, In fact, at many different monuments and inscriptions throughout the Roman Empire, even on coins, you would see this word, euangelion, the Greek word for good news. It was just good news. And in fact, it was used in the form of political propaganda. It was Caesar saying, isn't it good news that I'm in charge of the world? And so you would find these inscriptions on monuments, good news, Caesar reigns, and so there is peace and prosperity and security for all. This was the kind of propaganda that they were used to associating with this. Now Mark, right from the beginning, says this is the beginning of, of the good news. Well, it's not the good news about Caesar. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, we've said this before, but Christ is not Jesus' last name. You know, he's not filling out the form, you know, surname Christ, first name, you know, as if his parents were Joseph and Mary Christ, you know. Little Jesus. Christ was a title. It meant the Messiah. So right off the bat, Mark is saying, this is the beginning of good news, but not about the Roman king, but about the long-awaited Jewish king, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark uses this description of Jesus as almost like his favorite way of speaking about Jesus, the Son of God. And so this morning we're going to look at what does it mean to say that Jesus is the Son of God. Not simply what Jesus is this. Mark wants us from, he sets the stage of the play by saying, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. If you were in the audience watching this play unfold, you would pick up on a Jewish um, reference here. Son of God shows up in a in a in a obscure scroll that was found, from a, it dates back to a generation before Jesus. I'm not going to give you all the details here, but there was a community called the Qumran community, and they preserved these scrolls. In fact, it's the Qumran community that, that preserved what we discovered in the 1970s as the Dead Sea Scrolls. But these were copies of the, Old, the oldest manuscript copies of the Old Testament. But they also had other writings. They had other psalms and other, other uh, narratives and uh, stories and things like that. And in one of these Qumran scrolls, it was recently sort of pieced together in fragments, pieced together in the the 1990s, and it uses this phrase, Son of God. It talks about someone being hailed as the Son of God, and they shall call him Son of the Most High. Several of these phrases are used by one of the other gospel writers, Luke. But if we were just to say it in summary, Son of God to Jewish ears would have meant an expected victorious Jewish king, the Messiah. So when Mark says, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, anyone with a Jewish background in the audience would have said, oh, it's the the long-awaited victorious king. But Son of God also had Roman references. And in fact, it's very likely Mark was primarily writing to a Roman audience, an audience who didn't know much about Jewish history. And so the Roman background of, of this phrase is very interesting. You guys remember Julius Caesar. Caesar actually was a family name, but when Julius Caesar began to achieve all of these victories in battle, he made Caesar into a title. It's a title, incidentally, that other titles centuries later have borrowed from a Kaiser, a Tsar. Those are all variations of the original Caesar, Julius. And he was so dominant in his victories that people began to say, this guy is God, he must be divine. He's God. And Julius was one of those rulers where he was like, oh, I, I can't possibly... Okay, yes, say it again. Yes? Yes, I am. You know? And he just sort of didn't stop it. In fact, it's part, there, there were purists in the Roman Empire who, who objected so much to Julius Caesar allowing himself to be considered divine that that's what led to his assassination. This is what leads to Caesar being killed. When he's killed... You remember, there's this, there's this division about who's really going to be in charge. Well, the guy that kind of has the closest thing to uh, being the successor, even not a pure successor, was a guy who was actually Julius Caesar's adopted son, a chap named Octavian, who quickly changed his name to Augustus. And Augustus is the Latin for the great. So he says, you know what? I'm not just a ruler, the Caesar. I am the great Caesar, the magnificent, the august. Caesar. And he went on and perpetuated this thing about his dad being God, because if your dad's God, what does that make you? The son of God. And if you had asked anybody in the first century, who's the son of God, they would have said, well, Caesar Augustus, isn't it? It's Caesar Augustus. At least that's what we've been brainwashed to think. I mean, you think about our political campaigns and everybody wants to associate their name with positive words like freedom or peace or security or whatever, right? But in those days, there only was one ruler and he got the claim to all of those words. So he's like, I am it, the son of God. It is gospel, good news that I rule because of me. You have peace, security, on and on. Now do you see just how radical it is? So the Roman resonance is a world ruler who brings justice, peace, security, and prosperity. Now do you see how radical it is that Mark has set the stage? The drama hasn't even begun. And he said, this is a story about the good news of Jesus, the son of God. If you were in the audience, you'd be elbowing your neighbor being like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so good. Like I was when I saw the force awakening. Anyway, (laughs) the force awakens, but it awakened in me. Okay, Um, so scene one, scene one, picture this. Scene one, the narrator's already said it. This is the beginning of the good news. And then the lights come up, the curtain pulls back, and there's a wild man covered in camel hair eating locusts and honey in the wilderness. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Who is this crazy person? And then Mark says, Isaiah the prophet said there was going to be one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way, repent. And they're like, I totally remember that. There it is. There's this guy. It's John. And you're introduced to John the Baptist. But it's great because Mark introduces us to John, right? But John's not the primary character. He's a secondary character. Who's the primary character? Jesus. So who introduces us to Jesus? Mark 1, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. I mean, that was like coming from Tatooine, you know? This was like like an obscure planet in the galaxy. Out in the desert. Who is this guy? Jesus from Nazareth? And he comes to be baptized by Obi-Wan. Sorry, by John in the Jordan. (laughs) And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. If you were watching this play out dramatically, scene one, there's this wild man by a river. Scene two, here's Jesus and poof! the lights come on bright and the stage and a voice comes booming down from heaven and the voice says you are my beloved son with you I am well pleased throughout the rest of the drama all of the other characters will be scratching their heads and trying to figure out who this guy is but right from the start we're told and we're told not by some other character we're told by a voice from heaven this is my beloved son. I imagine if this was live theater, maybe the voice sounded a bit like Sean Connery. This is my son. In whom I am well pleased. I don't know why. It just sounds right. As the son of God, Jesus has an identity from God. We're going to say three things about Jesus being the Son of God that Mark wants us to catch right away in chapter 1. First of all, as the Son of God, Jesus has an identity from God. Now, I know later on, they would really come to understand as they reflected back after the resurrection, they're like, wait a minute, an identity from God or actually God? They would reflect on that, and, and later on, the theology would develop to where the phrase Son of God meant to be God himself. But in this moment... It's, it's possibly not developed yet. And so what Mark wants us to see is, at the very least, this is a person whose very identity is coming from God, where Yahweh says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, an identity from God. And then as the as the drama moves on the spirit immediately drove him again there's that pace the quick action the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days and he's tempted by satan and he was with wild animals and the angels were ministering to him i mean mark is full of drama here jesus is being tested And then it says in verse 14, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. There it is again, the good news of God. And saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is amazing. Because you and I, we hear the word gospel and it sounds so Christian, you know. But to them it would have sounded so Roman, Jesus went around proclaiming the true good news, saying, repent for the kingdom, not of Caesar, but the kingdom of God has arrived. Repent and believe the good news about God, not about Caesar. Now, kingdom is another one of those words that gets churchified for us, you know. Kingdom, for them, made them think about God's rule, God's authority, God's reign. See, their prayer for centuries had been, God, Yahweh, Adonai Eloheinu, Melech Olam, King of the universe. God our Lord, King of the universe. That's how every Jewish prayer over food began. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. And they were saying, you're the King of the universe? I don't know if you've noticed, but it's a bit of a mess we're oppressed. The wicked seem to prosper and the righteous seem to suffer. When will the king of the universe bring the kingdom near? And Jesus, think about this, Jesus starts walking around his Galilee and saying, the kingdom is at hand. It's here. Do you know what that was saying? That was saying the kingdom's here because the king is here. The kingdom doesn't arrive without the king, and when the king comes, so does the kingdom. The kingdom doesn't arrive without a king, but when the king comes, so does the kingdom. So when Jesus goes around preaching the kingdom of God, he's not giving nice sermons, kind of doing the circuit. He's basically saying, guys, listen, the king of the universe, hamelech haolam, the one you've been praying to, I'm here. His rule has come. I'm here. Jesus, as the Son of God, is saying that he has a destiny from God. As the Son of God, Jesus has a destiny from God. He's proclaiming it. It's here. I'm the kingdom bringer. Mark wants us to say, who's this main character? Son of God. Son of God has an identity from God. He has a destiny from God. And then it keeps going. The next scene, verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately, there's his again, immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching. See, there's that response again. What? Who is this? They were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. This wasn't a knock on the scribes. This was just them saying, you don't teach like the one who copies the words. You teach like the ones who wrote the words. Scribes. Great, you copied and studied it. And they're saying, this Jesus, you don't teach like someone who knows these words and copied it and wrote it. You're not a scribe. You're like the author. It's like, right. Right, it's different, isn't it? It's different. You have this authority. And immediately there was in the synagogue, again, immediately. Immediately he goes. He teaches. They're amazed. Immediately there was a man. There's this, whoa, 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 what's happening? You know? A man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent. Come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. That would have been quite a scene at the theater. (laughs) And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? Mark wants us to see that people, what Jesus leaves in his wake are people scratching their heads saying, whoa, what? Who is this? What is this? A new teaching and with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him and at once his fame spread throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. As the son of God, Jesus has an authority from God. He has an identity from God, he has a destiny from God, and he has an authority from God. This is what Mark wants us to catch. The good news about Jesus, the Son of God, something remarkable about him, something different about him. He's got this identity, he's got this destiny, he's got this authority. The way he speaks, the way he commands evil spirits to come out, this guy is more than just an average person. But we haven't said yet why this is good news. Why is it good news? Depending on your early introductions to authority figures, it may not be good news to you to say that Jesus has all authority. You might be like, oh, great, another authority figure. Or to say that Jesus had the destiny of bringing the kingdom of God, you'd be like, yeah, that doesn't sound fun. Why is it good news that Jesus is the Son of God? Because Jesus is the Son of God, He makes us children of God. Because Jesus is the Son of God, we can become children of God. He has the very identity and destiny and authority to speak to us and change our identity and destiny and authority. This isn't some person saying, hey, come along, you should, you should join me, you should do this. I don't know about you, but I think we live in an age where we're we're all sort of a little suspicious of being sold to something, right? Oh brother, you want me to sign up for this? Oh no, another scheme, you know. But Jesus is different. He's got this identity from God and this mandate, mission, destiny from God. He's got this authority. You know how Mark shows us this? It's the story kind of sandwiched in here in verse 19. If you were at the theater, this might be the scene in the drama where you kind of glance down at your program or sort of yawn, maybe, you know, close your eyes because it's not a fast-paced scene. Verse 19, and going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. I want you to think about something for a moment. When Mark introduces us to these guys, these boys, what does he call them? The son of Zebedee. This has been a chapter about sonship. This has been a chapter about Jesus as the son of God. This has been a chapter about the father opening up the heavens and saying, this is my son. And tucked away in this chapter is a story about sons and a father. In the first century, sons were meant to carry on the family business. They they carried the identity of the family. They carried a destiny of the family. If you're a son of a fisherman or a fish, that was your business. That was your destiny. Now you had the authority of it. When you came to be a certain age, you could start to order around the servants of the house with the same authority as the father. That's what it meant to be a son in the first century. This is why it's so, on the flip side, so remarkably insulting when the prodigal son says to his father, "Give me my inheritance." What's he saying? He's basically saying, I don't want your identity. I don't want the destiny that you have for me. I don't want your authority. I just want your money. <gasps> Incredibly insulting. But the sons of Zebedee, they're good boys. They're saying, oh, Lev, we're just doing what dad told us to do. You know, We're running the business. We, this is our identity. This is our destiny. We've got a certain authority over the servants here. But you see... It's not that there was anything wrong. It's just that the Son of God showed up. And the Son of God was offering a greater identity and a greater destiny and a greater authority. And so the sons of Zebedee left to follow the Son of God. And my question for you this morning is, who is Zebedee in your life? Who are you a daughter of or a son of? If you were to fill in that blank, what is the thing that gives you your identity and your sense of destiny and your sense of authority and power? Maybe, if you're honest, you'd say, if I were to fill in that blank, I would say, I am a daughter of fear, I am a son of shame. I am a child of failure. And maybe that's because of literal family of origins. Biologically, you're like, dude, I, my family, I'm a child of dysfunction. I was born into brokenness. I'm a mess. Like, I'm, the Zebedee for me literally is like a broken person. Or maybe it's something really remarkable. You're like, dude, do, do, do you know who I am? I'm the son of Zebedee. Like, this business that I started is slamming. I am the stuff. Did you know that I, the thing that I created is going to be on the Fortune 500? Like, dude, I, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to brag, man, but I am a big deal. Maybe Zebedee represents something awesome. you like, Wow, I can't believe you're the son of Zen. You're the son of that. You're, you're the heir of that. You, you're, the, you're the startup genius. We'll, Zuckerberg will come to pay you to teach him about business one day, you know? You're 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 incredible. Wow. But I want to say to you, whether the identity and destiny and authority in your life comes from something that brings great shame or something that brings great pride, it cannot compare to the identity and destiny and authority that Jesus has for you. It can't compare. There's nothing greater than having your life defined as being a child of God. Nothing you will achieve in this life will bring you more than being a child of God. Nothing you have failed at will define you more than being a child of God. Nothing. Nothing. And look, it may be that actually on the externals nothing changes. Unlike the sons of Zebedee, you you may carry on with your same job tomorrow. But the whole world is different. Because now you're saying, oh, you're not saying, oh, I'm, j- I'm just an accountant. I'm just an architect. I- I'm just an entrepreneur. I- I'm just a, a stay-at-home dad. I- I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a, I, I just work retail. I-, I work at a call center. I. I... No, no, no. <laughs> you're a child of God. And you carry with you an identity that comes from God. And you carry with you a destiny that comes from God. That means... That if Jesus is the kingdom bringer, you kind of get to be a little kingdom bringer. You kind of get to say, wherever I go, in a small way, not in the same Jesus kind of way, but in a small way, I'm bringing the rule of God into my workplace on Monday. If I'm in the business community in Colorado Springs, then guess what? God's in the business community in Colorado Springs. And no place becomes God forsaken if you're still there. Because you're a little kingdom bringer. Your destiny is different now. It means your authority is different too. You don't pray as like, well, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of a sinner. I just want to pray. I don't know, I don't know how to pray. I just, you, know. you pray and you say, God, I, I pray within authority. I'm praying in Jesus' name. That's kind of a big deal. I'm not praying in my name. No, that's, that's not a big deal. But I'm praying in Jesus' name. All of a sudden this story about Jesus, the Son of God, becomes opened to you to join in. All of a sudden, the drama, the stage becomes open, and they say, hey, hey, you see that lead character, the Son of God on the stage? Actually, he's made it possible for you to come on the stage too. Would you join the story? Would you join the story? And this story can become part of yours. What if you imagine it scene by scene? There you are in the river. Giving your life over to Jesus, and heaven breaks open. And the Father says over you, This is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. What if that scene is now your story because of Jesus? What if the story of the scene of Jesus announcing the kingdom of God becomes you? This is part of my destiny now. I get to participate in the kingdom's arrival. On earth, what if the scene about Jesus having authority and praying for healing becomes part of you? You're like, I I, I, I'm not like a healing evangelist or anything, but I'll pray. I'll, I'll, I'll stand in the gap for someone. I, I'll do that. Because you've got an authority now. You see, everything's different. Everything is different. Because Jesus is the Son of God, we can become. Children of God. Church, I'm not promising you that the story changes instantaneously. I'm not promising you that. I know we gotta walk through a, a journey of saying, well, this you know, is my family of origin stuff and I've gotta navigate that and I gotta get healthy from this. and this. All, all of that's a long process, can be a long process with counselors and with, with friends and the right community and all of that. It's like someone said, Jesus is in your heart but grandpa's in your bones. You know? <laughs> Like, yeah, you still got to work through that. But, but this can be the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Could today be the beginning for you? Could today be the beginning of the good news for you?